0: Good morning. Welcome to Sojourn. My name is Clay, and I am not one of the pastors here. Uh, I uh, am very privileged and honored to be here at Sojourn this morning. Uh, my wife and I have been coming to Sojourn for a little over a year. and are very grateful and thankful um, for the elders and all the faithful men and women of Sojourn. Uh, they asked me to preach a few months ago, dealing with the elders. Uh, and once I started thinking about it, I realized... Um, that I was their sixth option. Uh, but I, I guess I'm just glad to be on the list. Uh, right, Dylan and John and Jim are all in China. Jay's in the middle of football scenes, and I'm surprised he even has a voice. Uh, and then Ryan is elsewhere preaching as well. So I'm at the sixth option that I know of. Uh, but I uh, am glad to be here. And I'm glad for the passage I received. Uh, for last week with Esau's descendants... Uh, and next week's Judah and Tamar, which is about uh, a woman tricking her father-in-law into sleeping with her by acting like a prostitute. Uh, so I really feel blessed uh, to have a softball of a passage, is how I refer to it. Uh, a great story of, um, well a hard story, but a great story of the providence of God. Uh, so, uh, let me pray for us. I know we just prayed, but uh, if we grow weary of praying on Sunday morning, uh, I think there's something wrong with us. Lord, I need thee. Yes, I need thee, Lord. Every hour I need thee. But I really need you in this hour. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. May my preparation bring glory to you and may my presentation make sense. Overwhelm me with your Holy Spirit that I may speak your words of life. If I say a word that is not truthful to your gospel, Lord, may it be forgotten. I pray this the name of your Son, who died for our sin. Amen. We're in Genesis chapter 37. Please join me in Genesis 37. Are we reading the whole passage? All 36 verses? Follow along in your Bibles are on the screen. <laughs> Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilphah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report to them. To their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him, and they could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. For he said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold... We were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered round it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold. The sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the same in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem, And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And and a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing their flock. And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father." So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh, and on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? come. Let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. Then they took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes. He returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without a doubt torn to pieces. Once again, we find the family of Abraham stuck in the same cycle of sin. We find ourselves in a story about a family who wounds and weakens themselves. For the family of Abraham has consistently and sinfully shown favoritism. For Abraham showed favoritism towards Isaac over Ishmael, and therefore a rivalry arose between Sarah and Hagar the mother of the boys. This rivalry forced Hagar and Ishmael to flee for their life. They feared for their lives and they almost died in the wilderness because of favoritism. But God provided and protected Hagar. Then Isaac shows favoritism to Esau, while his wife Rebekah shows favoritism to Jacob, the twins. And this favoritism split the family and created a rival between siblings that resulted in lies, deceit, and fleeing again from fear. Then Jacob loves his wife Rachel while he hates Leah. Surely their sons would have known who was loved and who was hated. And then he has two concubines, Bilhah and Zilpah. Surely their sons would know that their mothers aren't even wives. Love and hatred, wife and servant, you can see the tension, and Jacob doesn't do himself any favors. Favoritism is a generational sin stuck in a cycle within the family of Abraham, and it has wrecked and wounded this family time and time again. How are they not sick of it yet? Jacob and Esau barely talk. Isaac and Ishmael split the family. And now the sons of four women hate one another. God may have chosen Jacob to lead his people, but Jacob is insensitive towards his sons and therefore contributes to their attempted murder. But we like to say that Joseph is just this upright, humble guy. But he's not innocent in this story. For he goes and tattles on his brothers. It says in verse 2 that he told a bad report to his father. It seemed like the brothers were doing wrong. And Joseph went and tattled on them. Now clearly he should distance himself from the wrongdoing of his brothers. But he appears to be this pestering, tattletale little brother. As they say in the middle school at OBA, though they don't back it up, snitches get stitches. The favorite son of Jacob is loved. The little snitch is loved by his father. It says in verse 3 that Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Joseph has divided his feelings for his sons as he has divided feelings for his wife, and as his parents had divided feelings for him and his brother. They are stuck in this cycle of favoritism. Jacob surely should have known the damage that favoritism has done to his family, for he fled from Esau for years. But once again, paternal favoritism provokes this family to discord, deception, and the disappearance of the favorite son. To show his love for his son Joseph, Jacob gives him a robe of many colors, a coat See, Joseph's story, clothing is important. It's a very important literary device. What his clothing is, is what his social status is. So he's given a robe by his father here, showing his place in authority and leadership within the family. But he is stripped of his robe in verse 23. And then in chapter 39, his cloak is seized as he runs from Potiphar's wife. This shows his descending status from favorite son to slave from slave manager to prisoner. Yet in chapter 41, he receives clothing from Pharaoh to show his new appointment to the court. And finally, the last reference to clothing is a reversal of chapter 37, where it is Joseph that clothes his brothers. So this robe, this coat, this technicolor dream coat, it's this richly ornamented tunic we don't really know what it is. But it was unlike what everyone else was wearing. The same word is used as it is here in Second Samuel 13 to reference the garment of a princess. Does this mean that Joseph's royal? Is this foreshadowing his appointment in the royal court of Egypt? I don't know. But it at least says that Joseph is going to be the ruler of this family once Jacob dies. Joseph is the eleventh son, and he has the leadership. And the ten before him all know it. And they hate him for it. Now the brothers have always thought that Joseph was the preferred son of Jacob, but now they have proof. He received this special coat. Their dislike for him becomes so strong that in verse 4 it says they cannot speak peacefully about him. They cannot talk positively about their brother. They hate him. And then he has dreams. For dreams in the ancient Near East are a common means of divine communication and prediction. For we've seen Abimelech, Laban, and Jacob all have dreams where God has told them what to do or what not to do. So... Though God is not a central figure in this story, he's not a key player, these dreams from Joseph show that he is in total control for what the dreams predict happen because he has the dreams. Joseph had two dreams. They're, both, they're different from one another but similar. They both show that he is going to rule and that his family will bow down to him and be under his rule. And in verse 9, he's already told his brothers the first one, and in verse 9, he tells them again. Joseph has a responsibility of his own downfall. For this tattletale is now insisting that his brothers hear not one, but two dreams about how he is to rule them. He is proud that he has heard from God. It's one thing to have a dream and tell them privately and humbly, another thing to boast about and their anger again arises from this dream they're angry that he will rule over them because their father has given them a coat and that their father loves him more and they are angry that God said that he will rule for both their father and their God favor Joseph and their anger grows
1: And although Jacob,
0: Joseph's father, rebukes him for telling him that the father shall serve the son, he remembers it. For he knew firsthand that the oracles of God foretold his own elevation, as they foretell the elevation of Joseph. So Joseph's dreams of ruling, along with the favoritism of his father, have caused his brothers to hate him more and more. And this problem is about to reach its climax. For in verse 12, the brothers were in Shechem, and the father, Jacob, sent Joseph to them. Now it's surprising that the brothers have returned to Shechem to pasture the flock, for it was just in Shechem two chapters earlier that they killed the Hivites. What is also surprising is that Jacob is so unaware of his son's hatred that he sends his favorite son into a hostile environment. Jacob does not see his own flesh and blood as a threat. So Joseph goes off searching for his brothers. He goes to Shechem. And we pick up with Joseph, and he is wandering. He's lost. He can't find them. This is this small, short story in the middle of a much larger narrative. Doesn't really seem to make sense why it's even here. But it's portraying Joseph as this vulnerable, naive boy who just can't find his brothers. But thankfully, he is found by a man. What's sad, though, is that Joseph alone in vulnerable is safer with a Shechemite than with his own brothers. This mention of a man should remind us of another story where Joseph wrestled with this, sorry, where Jacob wrestled with this man throughout the night before he met Esau. Now this man, we later believe, was God or divine in some way. And this should Remind us of this story. Why is this man unnamed? Why do we know nothing else? Why does he appear for just two verses and then disappear? Jewish tradition suggests that this man is an angel. Not God, but an angel. For this man intercepted Joseph. This man overheard private conversations between the brothers. And this man uh, correctly sent Joseph to the right place. But whether or not this man is an angel or God or just a Shechemite, that's not the point. The point is clear. The hand of the God is active. So he goes to find his brothers at Dothan. And it says in verse 18 that they saw him from far away. His coat betrayed him from a distance. Giving his brothers time to plot his murder. For little did Israel know that his favorite coat to his favorite son would cause him so much affliction. And his brothers said... Here comes the dreamer. They didn't identify him as their brother, but they only identified him by their resentment towards him. Hatred has consumed their soul. And they said, Come, let us kill him. Their plan was to kill him, to throw him into a pit, and to take their robe to their father and say that an animal had devoured him. But thankfully, Reuben the oldest, shows some sort of care for his brother. For he felt that murder was excessive, they could just toss him into the pit to suffer. Secretly, though, the text informs us that he wanted to save him and bring him back to his father. He probably wanted to gain some favor with his father after he lost it by sleeping with his father's concubine, Bilhah. Regardless, Reuben is the only brother who showed any sort of pity towards Joseph and the only brother who showed any sort of concern for his father. This is a family ruined by favoritism. So it says in verse 23 that they stripped Joseph. They needed his cloak to trick their father. Joseph's robe was a sign of authority, of royalty, of privilege, of favoritism. And their act dethroned this royal son and exposed him to a chilly cistern. This pit becomes his holding cell. It's not the only time in scripture that a pit, a cistern, is a holding cell. What happens to the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 38. This pit would be large, 6 to 20 feet deep. would have rocks at the bottom to collect and keep water. But this one was empty. Joseph was betrayed by his own family, stripped and thrown down to die. I found myself constantly being drawn to this pit. I saw myself as Joseph, abused, despised, betrayed by the world, and maybe you see yourself in him too. For maybe you've experienced betrayal from family, jealousy from siblings, backstabbing from coworkers or friends. Maybe you've been thrown down by the world and left to die. Maybe you, like Joseph, have hit rock bottom from divorce, from bankruptcy, from the death of a loved one, from foreclosure, from disease, from addiction, from uh, depression. Then this story is a comfort to you. For when darkness surrounds you, we can see that Christ does not abandon his people in the pit. But he joins us there. For he was with Hagar in the wilderness as she was about to die. He was with the prophet Elijah as he was fleeing for his life from Queen Jezebel. He was with Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego as they should be burning alive in the furnace. And he is with us when we are at bottom. For he knows what the pit is like. Philippians 2 says that he made himself nothing. Taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross he lowered himself from his heavenly realm of glory to the muck of sin and evil in the world he lowered himself to suffer for our sake dying though innocent if anyone knows what it's like to be in the pit of the muck of evil and sin and death and darkness. It is our Christ. You see, I saw us as these victims. Sinners who were born into sin. We couldn't help it. And now we have simply just joined the long line of sufferers for the gospel. Oppressed by those of the world. Despised by evil and harmed by its minions. I found myself saying that we were innocent naive, wandering like Joseph. And the big bad world had stripped us and threw us into the pit. But thankfully we had good news. The news that Christ pulled us out of the pit, not by lowering a rope to pull us up, but by lowering himself to carry us out. For there is nothing that Christ does not know humiliation betrayal pain death Joseph was pulled from the pit to save his family and Christ pulled himself from the pit to save the world we went to rock bottom and he joined us there but his pit was not a chilly sister and it was everything hell could throw at him death so we praised him for sacrificing himself that we were not left to die in the bottom of a pit but we have a new life found in him. I have told myself that I am Joseph, and he is my savior. But the more I read, the more I studied, the more I prayed, I lost touch with Joseph. For no longer was I the naive boy who was tricked by his brothers. But I knew what I was doing. I knew my sin and I liked it. I lost my innocence. We lost our naivete. No longer was I the victim, but the assailant. Are we the brothers? For it is my desire to win that causes me to harm others in the vein of being right. It is my tongue that gets loose as I share unkind thoughts of people who are not with me. It is my heart that gets envious when I want that car, that house, that life. It is my mind that gets crafty to say things so I don't get caught. It is my jealousy that prevents others, that prevents me from wanting others to get the credit or the reward. It is my pride that shows my true heart. I am who matters. I am not at the bottom of the pit, looking up at the harsh world, but I am at the top, looking down at the one who I pushed in. As the modern day hymn says, "Behold the man upon the cross." my sin upon his shoulders, ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. Second Corinthians 5 says, for our sake he made him, for our sake God made Christ to be sinned, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of of God. I was in the muck of sin and rock bottom. I was covered in my shame and death was coming. My sin required a savior. And Christ. I pulled Christ down into the pit with me. My sin pulled him from his heavenly realm to save me. I deserved the tree. I deserved the pit. And I deserve it still. But thanks be to God, for the grace he has shown. For Christ did not deserve death, but he died for the plan of God. He became sin so that I might become righteous. He became sin so that I might be saved from my sin. That I might be saved from death and brought to new life. Christ died that I might live just as Joseph died. So his family might live. And as we see Joseph in the pit. And his brothers eating a meal while he suffers. There come the Ishmaelites. And the Midianites. The appearance of these traitors make us think that he was not in the pit for long. But what's striking is who they are. The Ishmaelites. The descendants of Ishmael. The first son of Abraham. This very name should strike to our memory the struggle of siblings that reach back to the beginning of the people of God. For once again, the poor family dynamic from the past is back. Favoritism has reared its ugly head again. So the brothers come up with a new plan. Verse 26. What does it profit us if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Murder and cover-up do not pay as well as a slave. For after all, he is our brother. When families should admit protection, this kinship results in selling their brother into a living death. So they drew up Joseph, they lifted him out, and they sold him. Is like in verse 28? But actually... In the original language it says they drew up Joseph, they lifted Joseph out, and they sold Joseph. They repeated his name several times in one sentence. That's bad English, but it's important Hebrew. For this repetition of the name is to signal that this moment is important. This is something we need to remember. This is a moment of providence for the family of Israel and for the history of the nation. God is saying, do not forget that Joseph went to Egypt. What got Joseph in this pit? The sins of others that weren't his fault? The favoritism of his father? His own pride and flaunting of power? Yes. Many things brought Joseph down into the pit, but only one thing brought him up. The righteous plan of God. For if his father had not favored him or given him the coat of leadership, if he did not tell his brothers about both of his dreams, if he did not go to Shechem to find his brothers, if he did not run into a man along the way, if his brothers did not see him coming from afar due to his coat, and if Reuben did not show compassion on Joseph, and if the Ishmaelites did not pass by, then the story of the family of Abraham ends with famine and starvation. While the sins of the brothers and the pride of Joseph got him into the pit, it is the purposes of God that got him out. For as he tells his brother in cha- brothers in chapter 50, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. So they take his brother, their brother, they sell him, they take his coat, and they trick their father. For Jacob's earlier deceptions now have a terrible price. The trickster is about to get tricked. Jacob deceived his father into blessing him by the skin of a goat and the cloak of his brother. And now he is deceived into mourning by the blood of a goat and his son's own cloak. The coat that gave Jacob so much pleasure to give to his son is now a reminder of his daily anguish. And so he mourns. For the brother's trick was successful. Jacob performs his normal act of mourning. He tears his clothes. He wears wears, uh, cloth. And he mourns for days. But the author of Genesis is telling us about Joseph's mourning for a reason. He's connecting to Israel. For Israel in their history is often perplexed at the evil that befell them. Often they were like Jacob, mourning and refusing to be comforted. But where was God in such circumstances? Where was God when they were slaves in Egypt? Where was God when a civil war tore apart their nation? Where was God when Babylon was at their gates? Where was God when Rome crucified 2,000? Where was God when the Nazis killed 6 million? And we ask that too. Where was God when a man killed 58 in Las Vegas? Where was God when an 8-year-old girl died of cancer that she'd been fighting half her life? Where was God when chemical gas was poured on the Syrians? Where was God when your spouse left you? Where was God when you watched your children get addicted? Where was God when you were at rock bottom? But this story should comfort us as it does the Israelites. For no matter how dark the circumstances, no matter how much evil befell you, Know how, much, how deep you are. Our sovereign God is in control. He can overrule and even use the evil deeds of people to accomplish His plan of salvation. For where was God when all of these evil things happened? He was in the pit with us. He endured all the hardship of the world. He knows the pain of death and betrayal. For Jacob would not even allow his family to comfort him. Saying that I am going to mourn for Joseph until I die. He believes that he will die in this state of mourning. But the last verse of the passage gives hope. For Joseph was sold to Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh. Joseph worked for Potiphar's. Joseph is the main character for the rest of the book of Genesis, and now he's in Egypt. God promised Abraham, long ago, a great nation and descendants as numerous as the stars. And nothing, not famine, not betrayal, not prison, not favoritism is going to frustrate the plans of God. For God has a plan, but that's hard to take when we're in the pit. We don't want to hear that it's all part of God's plan when we've lost a loved one, when we've lost our job, when we're going through a divorce. We don't want to hear that it's all part of God's plan when life is crashing down around us. Yet God creates life from death. For one that was thought dead the evil that was done to Joseph brought him down to Egypt and it is in Egypt that God will continue to fulfill his plan of saving the family of Abraham for in Egypt the people are saved from starvation in Egypt the people of Israel would multiply and become enslaved and after 400 years they would return to the promised land with great possessions because God in his providence has kept Israel alive through Joseph And in the fullness of time, through this family, will come our Messiah. For Jesus and Joseph are very similar. But I've been thinking this whole time that we are Joseph, hurt by the world, downtrodden, and deserving of sympathy. But I've realized that we are the brothers. For it was not Christ's own pride that put him in the pit, but mine. It was my sin that put him in the pit. It was my desire to do what I want. It was my pride and desire for glory. It was my jealousy and covetousness. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. For Jesus is like Joseph, but he is far greater. For as the brothers conspired to kill Joseph, so Jesus' brothers, the Jews, conspired to kill him. As Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver, Jesus was sold for 30. As Joseph's brothers handed him to the Gentiles to a living death, Jesus' brothers handed him to the Gentiles for torture and death. But Jesus is fought more than Joseph, for Joseph suffered so that he may ascend to the throne of Egypt and save Israel, but our Christ suffered so that he may ascend to the throne of heaven and save the world. It was my sin that held him there. Until it was accomplished, his dying breath has brought me life, for I know that it was finished. Let's pray. Father, you are in control, may we not doubt you. death and hell and evil and if we are not thankful Lord let us be thankful you died for us you died for my sake and we can never thank you enough thank you for this story of providence thank you for the comfort of this story Lord be with your people You're holding in, pray. Amen. Would you please stand?